Steve. And I'm Sarah. So today we are going to be doing a standalone episode bridging our old or our last conversation, which was about subgenres of the Bible, and then next week we will be getting Advent. Hooray! Woo-hoo. Topic topic TBA. Um, but today I wanted to start off a conversation about the intersection between faith and creativity. And in particular, I was thinking of this the other day because I have been taking a weaving class and was weaving on a um, scarf that it suddenly occurred to me that, oh, hey, I could turn this into a stole if I wanted to and can work up the courage to cut it in half to sew it back together so it has a nice point in the back. Um, but the, that there is a thing about creating something with your hands, especially when it's the same thing over and over and over again, that I find very peaceful. Um, and, and in those quiet, peaceful moments can connect to God in a way that I normally can't because my brain's going 50 miles per hour as I try to think of what's my to-do list, what are my kids doing, um, what do I you know, need to get done, what should I be doing instead of just sitting here in silence trying to pray to God. You know, that the actual of doing of something, whether it's weaving or knitting or washing dishes even, it, it gives me kind of that experience it, it, let, it allows my brain to relax so that I can pray because I am still doing something. It's not just sitting there. Because when I'm just sitting there and praying, I feel like I'm wasting time. You know, I don't think that we should be saying prayer is wasting time. But when you have two kids and a house to keep clean and, a, you know, a job and a million other things to do, just sitting there praying sometimes can feel like a waste of time. Like, there are things that you could be doing instead. So I wanted to talk about faith and creativity. And I'm glad that you, you put that spin on it, and not just the super broad topic. We could talk for you know, a long, long, long time about all the different ways people have used uh, their faith and their creativity together, but some seem like obvious. Like, I'm sure Michelangelo had spiritual thoughts when he was painting the Sistine Chapel because he's mm-hmm. painting a picture of God, right? But the and most people are not in the position to paint a Sistine Chapel, um, and we can often feel like, oh, well, I don't have the master's talent, so therefore this is off limits to me as a way of connecting with my life. No, that you're, you're tapping into uh, that there are places of creativity that aren't even about the end product exactly, but even about just the act of doing, that like while you are weaving or knitting or creating, um, there's a place for prayer, and it's not just, oh, I made this painting or I made this symphony or I made this scarf, it makes me think of God, but somehow in the act of creating, we are, we are in touch with God or, or able to connect to our faith. Um, that reminds me, and I, this is to jump faith traditions for a little bit, but I know there's a practice among some Buddhist monks that has, just this image has stayed with me for a long, long time. Um, 
here at the local university years ago, they brought uh, a crew of uh, Buddhist monks and they did uh, sand mandalas. So they you know, have colored sand and they do these intricate, intricate designs all in colored sand. And you could come and watch as they did that. I mean, they're talking hours and hours and hours of time. And then when the work is done and the design is complete, they sweep it all away. And there's some part of me, Western tradition person that I am, like, no, 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 save it, it's beautiful, hold on to it. And part of me is like, oh, I get it now. The whole idea is you have to be able to find it was worth doing in the act of doing it regardless of how long it lasts otherwise. And I, I think that's a piece for me of um, contemplative prayer and faith and creativity that, that's uh, a learning point for me. I'm, I'm not one with the gifts to knit or crochet and I've never attempted any weaving, but like I get the idea of doing something knowing it's not going to last, but in the act of doing it, there's this place for creative expression that also connects w- with God and, and part of the prayer becomes, I'm offering this up for however it lasts, God. Well, when I was in seminary, I had a mentor advised me that I needed to find a creative hobby in mm. which there was an end product. Oh, okay. Because so much of our ministry is <laughs> you do something and it's like, oh, cool, I fixed this problem. And then in the next breath, that problem reemerges somewhere else or there's another mm-hmm. problem that there isn't ever like, oh, man, I've yeah. done this. I've accomplished this. It's always that rotating door of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that... Um, so this mentor was the one who inspired me to start knitting because there would be an end product, a tangible object that I could hold in my hands and go, hey, look, I made this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, um, I, as somebody who struggles to keep up with chores because there's a baby in the house, there is also something about doing the dishes and folding laundry, yeah. which... Again, there might be a moment where everything's washed and clean and put away. But as we all know, you're going to take a drink of water and there's going to be another glass soon. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to, you know, get dressed for bed or the next day and there's going to be more dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, there is something about that too. Of There is always a need to pray. And yeah. I I'd see both both sides of it, and, and I don't I don't mean to suggest only one or the other is right for one's spirituality, but um, I, and I get what you mean. There are times when, for me, making something and in the process of making it, I'm like, it's going to look good, or I'm going to be happy with how. And there's a sense of it's really the end product that I'm after. And there's other times where, and and sometimes there are things that don't feel particularly creative, but like you you know, call attention to even things like washing dishes or mowing the lawn or raking leaves, which has this feel of futility if it's going to be undone with the next breeze. Um, there, there's times for me where the the task itself I know is going to be undone, but uh-huh. there's something lovely about in that moment when you're almost like when your hands are occupied, your brain is, is, is free, just like you said, whether it's washing dishes or whatever. And also there are times when I like having the ability to make something and say it's done, but both maybe are part of ways we can get access to, to, to God or to spirituality. Well, and you know, I get the whole, you do something like mowing the grass, washing the dishes or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it rains, the grass grows again, the dish, you you have a new dish and everything. But a lot of times I'll spend my Sabbath day doing cleaning things because it just helps me, like your mentor said, you know, something that I have accomplished, something mm-hmm. that uh-huh. is finished. And um, sometimes I'll treat that like, you know, Brother Lawrence and, you know, praying for people while he was doing the dishes and things. And, and sometimes it's just nice to have something that's completed um, 
when we live in a world that's often full of things that don't get completed because it's ministry. Yeah. There's a piece of me though that also wants to suggest because I I I can imagine lots of folks being in the position of feeling like they aren't master artists or whatever, and therefore they shouldn't even try something like that. Mm-hmm. They should only stick with. I guess I'll just have to turn chores into something fun. And but like th- th- there's something valuable. I think good for the soul at whatever someone's supposed skill level is of finding different ways to be creative that are genuinely creative or artistic or have some aesthetic side to it. Um, and I think in, in a sense like that there's something like deeply, deeply even biblical about the idea that part of what we share in common with God's nature is this ability to create and appreciate mm-hmm. and that um, you know, the, the theologians have gone back and forth over centuries about what it means in the Genesis 1 story that humans are made in the image of God. I don't think anybody believes it means we look like God, but this idea that there's some capacities that human beings have that are points of continuity or connection with what God's like. And I think, given in Genesis 1 where that phrase gets used, it's God's been making stuff, um, that part of what it is to be human is this ability to, in some smaller ways, create beauty and to appreciate beauty. Um, th- th- there's some point at which we have a connection to what uh, what what the Imago Dei in the Latin, the, what, what the image of God is like in, in when we create. And I'm not one, I'm not an artist by any means, um, if anything, I'm a musician and a singer and not that great at those either. Um, but I have found, I remember in seminary one time doing a project where we had to do a, a contemplative kind of study on a, a passage of scripture. Mm. And so mine was, um, it's in the gospel of John when he's talking about, I am the good shepherd. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but um, I, I read from my group after we kind of looked at that passage, I read from my group the 23rd Psalm and I asked folks to like draw kind mm. of what they pictured out of that. Um, knowing that I was not a creative person, I don't draw. Um, that's not my go-to kind of thing to do. But out of that moment, um, in the simple drawings that I had, I had this profound um, connection with God uh, with some stuff that I had been dealing with personally. There had been a lot of death in my family. And so the 23rd Psalm, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. And yeah. As I'm explaining my drawings to my, uh, to my fellow students, um, this, these words came out of my mouth saying, you know, death is the enemy and he's been defeated, which was something I did not plan to say. Mm. But through that creative process and through that drawing and through mm. explaining that drawing, like God connected with me and spoke through mm. me to me mm. about what I'd been going through. So it was a really interesting experience um, in, in creativity for me. And I need to do that more often. S- similarly, when when I have parishioners come up to me and ask about how to deepen their prayer life. They don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. They don't really know how to go about, you know, talking to God that's beyond, you know, our Father who art in heaven yeah. or other, like, already written out yeah. prayers. I like to recommend um, Praying in Color, which mm-hmm. is, um, I have this book. It's actually right in front of me. But um, Sybil Macbeth wrote it. And she kind of came up with this, like, prayer practice that she, she, she encourages doodling. Because mm-hmm. people are a lot less afraid of the yeah. word doodle. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, 
if you say draw something, they mm-hmm. instantly think of the great artists of our time who like can draw yeah. very realistically, or at least you know if it's a cartoon animator, they they can still draw very well, and you can like instantly know, oh, that's a school bus because mm-hmm. it looks like a school bus. Um, whereas like if I try to draw a school bus, the only person who knows it's a school bus is my two year old, <laughs> who's the one telling me to draw <laughs> a school bus. Um, but it's it's a way to do that physical connecting to God by putting pen or marker or crayon to paper. Um, it gives you a focus when you're focusing. Mm-hmm. Like if you're praying for a certain person, you just write down their name and then you doodle around that name mm-hmm. while you kind of hold that person in prayer. And you might not necessarily know exactly what you want to pray for, but by just kind of holding that person mm-hmm. in prayer for that moment, you know, God knows what mm-hmm. you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a whole bunch of different ways of like praying in color. <coughs> like if you're praying like just to God, or if you're praying for somebody, um, as well as different like suggestions for if you are um, praying like the 23rd Psalm mm-hmm. about how to kind of do that while also doodling. And again, she kind of keeps stressing this word doodling so that it becomes less scary for mm-hmm. those of us who haven't had formal training at, like, an art school and don't feel as confident with our, like, mm-hmm. drawing abilities. Um, I have found that it can be a helpful practice in even engaging with biblical stories if you uh, try and, again, w- without worrying about how people will judge you, uh, draw out a, a story and it forces you to see things like what moment in the story emerges in my mind as the important mm-hmm. or who's, mm-hmm. you know, from whose perspective, you know? So, like, I can remember years ago, um, I, I purchased a copy of an icon from um, a Greek Orthodox bookstore, and it's the women coming to the tomb on Easter Sunday. And the thing that I love about the moment that this artist has chosen when they wrote this icon is um, that the women are still weeping, and there is the tomb that's empty. So it's like this moment of like Holy Saturday meets Easter Sunday. That like it's not the everything's smiling. We're, we all get it as everything's happy. There's I love that juxtaposition, and that like to me that feels like not only is that yeah that's part of the, how the biblical story goes, but that's so often where our lives are is that tension between sorrow and joy, and both at the same time. And not that God only wants us to talk about the happy moments, you know. But like I I, I like the idea when you are imagining a biblical story, what happens when you change? How does this look from you know, a different character's perspective? How would you draw it? You know, are you looking up? Are you looking down? That kind of thing. Are you watching it all sort of third person? Um, and even down to what moment in the story is the one? Um, like, and then in that respect, it's, it can be helpful if, if you're nervous about doing it yourself to even watch how other artists have captured biblical stories mm-hmm. before and to go, oh, wow, there's like a bunch of different ways people, you know, en- envision the story of the Last Supper or um, I think of um, uh, Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal, right? So that, like of all the things you could paint in that mm-hmm. scene, it's, oh, it's, it's that homecoming moment, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to you could tell a totally different story if it's the, you know, the young son when he's wandering off and getting lost or the older brother who's, you know, uh, being a party pooper. But like to say this is the moment that you want to capture says something. Or like um, 
uh, Caravaggio's uh, The Conversion of St. Paul on the Road to Damascus, there's this giant horse butt in the front of the, in the center of the, the, the painting, because, like, this is the moment he gets knocked, he literally gets knocked off his high horse, and part of Caravaggio's style is, like, he is the horse's rear end at this moment. Um, but, like, there's something humbling about this, and I think mm-hmm. nobody had a photograph to know this is how it happened. An artist is saying, this is something I want to say about this moment. And even, like, just looking at how other artists have encaptured uh, biblical stories and paintings or sculptures or whatever, um, whether it's realistic or not, I, th- I think can be valuable because it makes you ask the question, what, what's, what's the artist trying to convey? What are things in the story or in the psalm or whatever that I might have missed or never thought about? And it, it's a way of bringing another person in the conversation um, all, all conveyed without words often. Um, what about, are there ways where we can be intentionally prayerful maybe or connecting with god without it being explicitly representation like you talked about if i'm praying for so and so i'm praying for mm-hmm. phil so i write phil's name down sometimes that's very concrete but are there are there um ways when it's not i don't even know a a, a person's need but i i i want to use this moment or this task to be prayerful are there are there things that you've learned or, or resources that you would commend to us there well a lot of this like knitting as a prayer practice for me is to sit in the silence, hmm, which okay. I which I struggle with because I I'm a millennial and like my phone is always just right there with YouTube or my audiobook or mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, but to just sit in the silence and listen for God, hmm. that prayer shouldn't be just me monologuing but that there should be those silences for God to answer back mm-hmm. or at least to sit in the silence with God mm-hmm. so that it's not just me yakking for however long mm-hmm. I managed to sit still to pray to God so in moments like that then it almost sounds like that the the action you're doing whether it's knitting or weaving or mowing the grass if that's your thing <laughs> um, that it's less about at the end of this, project time, I have to come up with this idea or insight or I have to tell God these things, but it's more, mm-hmm. this will keep me occupied enough that God can get through to me, almost. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's a helpful but humbling insight, that sometimes it's less, because, like, there's a piece of me that's wired to be like, everything has to be productive, so I need to think of some sermonal ideas while I'm mowing the grass, or I need to have done, and instead it's more about, like, this is empty space, and I'm making myself hold this space empty by knitting or crocheting or uh, being quiet or mowing the grass in this time and this I'm removing as many distractions as possible so that God can get through to me that kind of thing yeah that's helpful um and it's it's hard when you do that because you're never quite sure what's going to happen like you have to you have to surrender a certain amount of control because you don't know what God's going to say in that silent space yeah I mean as well as it's again it's difficult to just find that time anymore Mm -hmm. um this is a prayer practice that I was way more intentional about before children. But, like, <laughs> now I have to successfully find a space without kids. Because pre-kids, I could tell my husband, oh, hey, I'm going to pray for a while. Mm-hmm. and Or whatever. And he'd be like, cool, I'm going to go do this in this other part of the house. And it's like, oh, awesome. I have mm-hmm. quiet time. Now it's like, oh, what are you doing, Mommy? What's that? Are you knitting? Is this your yard? Can I? I need the yarn, mommy. I need the yarn. Okay, bye, mommy. I'm taking the yarn, and it's like, no, that yarn is connected to my needles in my project. 
You know, it, it's harder to find silence now unless I got up at 4 a.m., which yeah. I'm not okay with. Oh, you don't want to be like John Wesley? No. Guess <laughs> <laughs> what the Methodist doesn't either. And I'll tell you, um, so I'm, I'm just coming off a, a recovery leave from, from surgery uh, a, a few weeks ago, and um, in that month away, I... You know, I knew I was going to be spending a lot of time, you know, probably watching Netflix and binging TV shows on Netflix and stuff, because what else can you do when you can't work and can't really move that well because you've had abdominal surgery? And yeah, it's books and TV. <laughs> it's books and TV. Um, but I found after a couple of weeks, like, books and TV just weren't cutting it anymore. Like, I just, I, I needed something. And, and so it was a little bit easier. Again, I don't have kids. I don't even have a husband. So I mean, it's real easy. It's just a dog. is my distraction. Um, to be able to find some time for that silence, um, but it is hard. Like, cause uh, like you, I, you know, my phone was always there, and I could always turn that on and, and go to that. And I, before I know it, I'd spend a half an hour watching, you know, all kinds of videos on YouTube <laughs> or whatever. Um, but it is a really sweet thing for me to be able to find that silence. Um, and sometimes, like in, in normal life, now that I'm, I'm back and and things are rolling again, I'll go out in nature. Um, and that's my kind of way to get away from everything. Like, I'll bring the phone for emergencies, but, like, I don't listen to music. I'll just go out and, and find nature and allow God to speak through me through that. That reminds me <clears throat> of a practice of um, the poet and novelist and essayist Wendell Berry, who, um, for a season in his life, and he lives in rural Kentucky, where you are... Uh-huh. less likely to run into malls <laughs> um but and like and, there. Yeah, yeah and like and and part of part of it, his whole ethos and his novels and essays is sort of like that a lot of what we call like the the perks of modern life are not really perks there you know mm-hmm. we're missing what's really good about life but anyway so for a while in his life on uh, his Sabbath day, he would go out into the woods, sort of very Henry David Thoreau-esque, to live deliberately uh, out from his cabin. But he would write a poem from the experience of whatever had happened in the. And so it wasn't. It wasn't like work in the sense of there's some publisher breathing down his neck and you got to get a submission in. But it was more like how to appreciate the the time and presence in the midst of creation. Rather than all right, I got to do my ten minute nature walk because I make myself do it. But like there was, there was, it was like savoring it almost. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is possible to wolf down a really good dinner, and it's possible to savor it and eat it slowly. And I think like f- for me, that that practice is a helpful one too. That even brings creativity, even if all you're doing is just observing the beauty of creation. But then to put words to it, or give thought to it, there's some uh, additional way of bringing like. So what did this mean for me, or what things can I learn from this, or what does it make me think of? Um, that 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 whole practice of his has, has stayed with me as a, as a helpful way of, of living deliberately, like to borrow Thoreau's word, like that we go in and that in the midst of everyday and ordinary situations, mm-hmm. savoring uh, and seeing this is this is God's world and this is a, a a day. I mean, not to sound too cliche, but a day that God has made. So mm-hmm. what you know, what what will we do with the day that we've been given? Um, that's just a, a very different way of living day to day when we're often so busy with other things. I guess I wonder how do we how do we deal with how do each of you or, or me deal with the impulse that we've all kind of named in different ways of there is some voice in the back of our heads that 
uh, like seems to demand productivity all the time and that we must be doing stuff or that we must be busy and that like we should feel bad when we need to do something that looks unproductive for a while. And again, we can make very convincing cases because there are young children. I get it. There are young children in my house and they are constantly needing attention. Um, and life is like that and work is like that. What do we what do we do with that impulse and like acknowledge where it's helpful or necessary? But then how do you eventually hit the snooze button on that voice or tell it to be quiet or what? How do you deal with that in in the culture that we live in that is so obsessed with making widgets and saying this is a time I'm not going to be making widgets? I'm not good at it. Okay, like outside my Sabbath day, I'm not good at it, and. um like, again, during recovery, when I couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything, that it made it easy. But, you know, um, getting back into, into the workforce and, and getting my energy back and being able to do things, it's it's hard. Um, but I notice, like, just like if I don't take my Sabbath, um, how I feel drained, mm-hmm. you know, come middle of the, the following week because I'm like, I didn't take time to just rest and be in God's presence and, and, and do those kind of things. And so for me... Forcing myself to find some sort of creative way to connect with God, whether that be going out um, and walking in nature on my Sabbath or on some other day, or, or playing guitar. You know, I I'm not um, I'm not great. I've been praying for about a year, um, but even just forcing myself and saying, you know what, this isn't being productive in the way that society would look at being productive, but this is helping me connect with God, so then I can be productive the way society wants me to be protected later. <laughs> so I think it's for me is it's recognizing what my priorities are okay. right now. Okay. And I've tried to recently refocus my priorities because I realized that since my, my recent baby was born, I haven't been reading the Bible beyond just preparing for sermons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And realizing, oh well it's been that way for a while because I was really tired when I was pregnant too. So like this mm-hmm. clearly isn't super helpful for my own faith life and mm-hmm. journey. So I needed to reprioritize and say, okay, no, reading the Bible every day is important. It's important for my faith journey. It's important for my preaching life. It's important for X, Y, and Z. It's important. Mm-hmm. So I need to make that a priority. And in the sense that I, I can't get it all done. And recognizing that I can't get everything mm-hmm. done. So I need to know what my priorities are. Is it more important right this moment that the dishes are done or that I spend time with my toddler who's feeling neglected because his baby brother is now here? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the dishes because there are no clean bottles left (laughs) and the baby's going to be hungry in about 30 minutes, so I need to do some dishes. And sometimes it's, no, the toddler is more important right now. I need to go and play with him. So it's just kind of recognizing where those priorities are and knowing that rest is sometimes needs to be a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Taking a half an hour to knit and some of that being prayer time, some of it just being watching yeah. YouTube while knitting is also important for me because I can't just be going, 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 going at 100 miles per hour 24-7. Like that's unrealistic. So it's recognizing that there are priorities and not everything's going to get done, and that has to be okay. That um, makes me think of like the way sometimes taking those short breaks um, almost feel like doing the like the 
reset on my computer. Like, there's times where my computer gets slow, and I'm like, you know what? It's got too many things running. I need to turn it off and turn it on again, and, and, and like, it mm. clears it, you know? That's a, maybe a stupid analogy, but, like, there's a piece of me that mm. feels like there's times in the day where I have to do, like, this mental calculus of, like, I'm not functioning right now. I need to have 20 minutes, and I need to do, do something different. And it'll be open a book or you know, whatever, and knowing going into that i'm i'm just writing off these next 20 minutes i'm not gonna be working on this you know whatever a very important thing i was doing and said but look how slow i was my brain was slowing that that kind of thing um and it it means allowing i guess i think it means allowing like a sense of what are human beings for is deeper than just what have i produced or achieved but it's about a certain kind of life you know that Mm -hmm. it's that the the it, it, this reminds me of a conversation we had way back in our biblical series on like the proverbs about the, the wisdom literature is less about like how to um, acquire the most money at the end of a life but how to live a life that is worth having lived you know um, again to borrow from Thoreau that to discover when we get to the end of our life that we haven't truly lived um, and if if that's really what the the whole way of life uh, that the scriptures are about is 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 about then it's less how do I make sure I get the most productivity out of my time and how do I feel like at the end of the day I use my minutes well in a way that I'm proud of I guess you know that like the the toddler who needed my attention nobody went neglected and also that nobody was hungry because there were no clean bottles you know like that it, it, it's to me it reminds me of that line in the Mary and Martha story in Luke where Jesus says it's about the one thing that's most needful and I I, I used to hear that as like Jesus is scolding Martha and rewarding Mary as though, like, there's never a time for cooking dinner. And the more and more I I listen to that story, I think it's not really that Jesus is scolding Martha and saying the question for all of us to ask is, what's the one thing needful in this moment? And sometimes it's going to be sitting at Jesus' feet. And sometimes if you're Martha, you're like, hey, what if you guys brought the conversation into the kitchen and we could also make dinner and then we would eat and I could still be part of the conversation? This was an option for Martha. Just nobody thought to say that. Um, And that maybe the question, I love the way you phrase it about like the sarah about like the the sometimes the toddler gets the attention and sometimes the dishes have to because it's not because you want to neglect your child but because no washing the dish makes it possible to feed the other child and that all of life is like that there's times where the thing that needs to be done is is it's got a human face to it and it's clear this is why i'm spending the time with you now because later it's bedtime for you um and there's times where no this has to be done now you might not understand it but this has to be done now because unless i cook dinner now 30 minutes from now you're going to be hangry and, and I want to have pleasant people or I mean, like that that's helpful so even though we've kind of shifted from talking directly about creativity and faith this is maybe a place where creativity and Sabbath and spiritual life all overlap because mm-hmm. honestly most of the time people's work lives don't necessarily feel very creative I mean, sometimes it, like work is like I'm, you don't have to enjoy doing your work this is your job you do it um and maybe that's especially true for uh, pastoral ministry in times where the thing we're called to do doesn't look like it ever gets completed. Spending time at the hospital with somebody or praying with somebody or whatever, how do you know it's done? It's, well, we got, we got them home safely from the hospital. But like you said, some, it'll be another, somebody else is going to be sick next, you know, the next day. But to be able to have time where creativity and Sabbath and spirituality all overlap, that, that's a helpful insight. Um. This maybe spins off, too, because I'm looking at your stack of of resources you brought with you for the conversation today. And for those of you who can't see it, it's an impressive, impressive collection of books all on different kinds of spirituality and creativity. Um, 
a couple of them look like they have to do with what I will broadly call the fiber arts, <laughs> knitting, crocheting, things like mm-hmm. that, weaving. I'm a bit biased. Yeah, well, and my, my wife is a, is a knitter as well. And, like, so I've seen her in the past, like, knit things like she knew she was going to give to somebody. And I know churches, including the churches I serve, where they have either a baby blanket knitting thing or where they'll uh, quilt things. And there's a that's an avenue for creativity as well, mm-hmm. right? So how, how does that work? Are there, are there ministries? that your congregations or that you've experienced where they do projects like that? In my previous charge, uh, my larger church had this group that met on Fridays called Yarn Angels. Uh, most of them were knitters, mm-hmm. and they made pair shawls and lap robes and things that they would give away to the hospital. Sometimes there would be women that would make um, baby hats mm-hmm. and things like that for like NICU and, and stuff like that. And honestly, I, I started going to that group just to get to know the ladies, but then I picked up crocheting again, which is something I hadn't done in 15 years. Then I realized I was old because I hadn't done something for 15 years. <laughs> um, but it was it was neat to be able to, you know, again, say that I finished something and then was able to give that away mm. and to share that with someone. I really like knowing who I'm going to be making something for. Like, whether it's to an organization or I'm thinking of like, oh, so-and-so is going to get this hat. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently knit a hat and the intention while I was knitting it was that it was going to go to my local yarn store because um, I'm friends with the owner and she's going to sell it and then I'll have like $5 I can spend on yarn or something. Um, but then at the last minute I was like finishing it and my husband tried it on and it fit him, <laughs> which is unusual. Hats don't normally fit him. He mm-hmm. has a larger head than normal. And so um, I could really tell that he wanted it. So only for like the last two rows did I know that it was actually for him. Mm. And to be honest, that kind of bothered me. Like okay. I normally am knitting a project like the whole time thinking, oh, this is going to be for my husband or this is going to mm-hmm. be for my son or this is going to be for my friend. And, so to have a project where it was like just the last two rows thinking, oh, this is for my husband, you know, I almost felt like I missed out on the hmm. opportunity to be praying mm-hmm. for him whilst knitting mm-hmm. it. I, that's an important idea, though, that like whether it takes the form of a hat or those who do like blankets or scarves or whatever, that when we call them a prayer shawl or something like that. It's not that it's a shawl to wear when you pray, although I guess you could, but it's that someone in the act of making it is praying for the mm-hmm. recipient, whether you know that person or don't. Or like the the quilts that the, the churches where I serve make, um, the idea is that they're going to be given like to a, through a relief agency to people who are fleeing natural disasters or whatever. So mm-hmm. we never know who they are, but to know that someone's going to need this and in the crisis they're going through, this is going to be the most comfortable thing that is available mm-hmm. to them at that time. I remember hearing a story uh, a few years ago at um, our area's uh, Lutheran gathering annually, that our Synod Assembly. There's a person who was speaking on behalf of the a worldwide relief organization called Lutheran World Relief, and he said, "Let me tell you the story of um, a woman who came up to me and why she said why she said she's a Lutheran. And she said she grew up on the island of Cyprus, and during the uh, violence series decades ago, um, she was a refugee, and someone had given her." A quilt, and there in the corner was this little thing that was stitched. It was from so and so's Lutheran church, donated to Lutheran World Relief. I mean, how many decades ago? And uh, she said, and when I find when the war was over, and I was finally, you know, able to sort of resettle myself where I wanted to, I wanted to find out who these Lutherans were uh, that took the time to make a quilt. And now Lutherans certainly aren't the only people making quilts. You can find all sorts of whether they are church affiliated or not. But that that idea of 
here was somebody's creativity that went across an ocean to affect somebody else and it made a difference enough that they wanted to find out what would lead somebody to do something like that for someone you were never going to meet. But that's a powerful way that you can be prayerful even if you don't know who the person is who will receive it. So obviously there's lots of more ways we could talk on other days about creativity and faith. And maybe our conversation is also broadened into in those moments where it doesn't even look very artistic or creative, but still there's a place for connecting with God in the midst of silence. Um, but maybe that's a place to stick the pin for now. After all, it's about Thanksgiving time, so there's probably some turkey that needs to be attended to soon. <laughs> um, but um, we'll join you next time uh, here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.